Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, this year is a little different because the Super Bowl is usually the first Sunday of, of February, and here we are the second Sunday. They added a, another game into the, the mix this year, so it bumped it out. So happy Super Bowl Sunday, I guess. Uh, millions of people, just like most of you in this room, I don't know if you'll You'll watch the game, but most of you will keep up with it somehow. But millions of people all over the United States and all over the world actually are going to tune in to the game today. And who's to win is yet to be determined. And for some of you who are not uh, sports enthusiasts at all, the Los Angeles Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals are playing. And some of you still don't care. Uh, if you like, from what I understand, if you like rap music, the, this year's halftime is for you, so uh, it may be something you want to tune in. But I do know this. I don't know exactly who will win the game, but we're all rooting for somebody. But I can tell you this. One team has the definite advantage this year. You see, they're playing the game in the home stadium of the Los Angeles Rams, who are in the Super Bowl. They were 9-0 at home this year, and they are playing in their stadium for this game. They have a definite advantage because, as I was listening to sports talk this week, they were talking about how the Rams will keep their normal routine. They, they will see their families, you know, their normal routine that they go through for a home football game. Whereas the Bengals got to travel across country, and even though they've been there a week, the the time change they've adjusted to, but still, they're in strange beds, strange surroundings, and uh, they're in the foreign turf, so to speak. So every time there's a home field or a home court advantage, that uh, that team has something going for it at that point. I want you to know that we as Christians in the United States of America, we no longer have a home field advantage, even in our own country. We're learning as statistics come in that for the first time, I don't know, and maybe forever, that church membership in the United States is now below 50%. This is people attending uh and people on rolls is less than 50%. The fastest growing entity when it comes to religious uh, statistics are a group they call the nuns. They have no affiliation whatsoever with any kind of uh, religious uh, program that they're a part of. This is one of the fastest growing groups in the United States. But there's another group that is right on the uh, heels of that group. They're called the Duns. The Duns are those who may have grown up in church, got married and baptized and everything you do in a church, served in a church, but they've come to that age where they say, that's it, I'm checking out, I'm going to leave it to the next generation, and they quit uh, being affiliated with a church or religious entity, the, the Duns. And we, we see the statistics, uh, that are, are astronomical when a, when a young man or a young woman, 
graduates high school and they go off to university or college campus, we know that the, there's the, the statistics tell us that it goes way down as far as their activity in, in things of the church. Oftentimes in our country, you hear talk about people that are uh, exuberant about their faith get put on terrorist watch list. And you also, uh, some sermons have been uh, what they call hate speech. They say it's hate speech because of uh, the way it comes across. False teachings abound. You can go on the internet right now and you can find anybody to teach on anything you want to hear from any angle. So when when the Bible talks about uh, and Paul talking to Timothy about people hearing things that tickle their ears, you can go on the internet and hear anything you want to hear as far as false teaching goes. And and then we see many leaders. I hate, I've heard this term, but Christian celebrities, Christian uh, media people or big church people or even smaller church people in leadership that have fallen and given the name of Christ a bad name. And thus we see people walking away from the faith. But I thought about why, why are we seeing this mass exodus in our country today. And I thought about uh, five reasons. Let me just lay these out for you. First of all is this. Maybe it's because Christians, those who claim to follow Christ, have given a poor representation of what it means to follow Christ. Bigoted, unloving, racially divided, not unified. These are some of the terms that are used today uh, against the church. But I, I think it's even bigger than that, the representation that Christians have given. They have given a picture that their faith is not something worth giving their life for. And so people just say, hey, if it's not that big a deal, why should I do it? Here's another reason that I think people have walked away. Many people are seeking an experience or a feeling. They have false expectations of what it really means to follow Jesus. I don't think those first disciples, when Jesus came up to them and said, follow me, there was any kind of, no music playing, there was no uh, flashes in the sky. They had to make a choice. But many people today are looking for an experience or a feeling. And if the church isn't exciting enough then uh, they think, oh, what's the big deal? But you know as well as I do, we were never called to compete against the world, but yet many people come in thinking, okay, what are you going to do for me now? Here's a third reason that I think people have walked away from the Christian faith. Many people are finding their needs met elsewhere. Felt needs, not their deepest Need, which is salvation, but their felt needs. They have expectations because you see, it used to be that the church, everything revolved around the church. Your worship, your spiritual life, your social community, 
Everything you did would revolve around the church. Now, many people today, because of the, the way our culture has gone, today, many people that sat where you're sitting are no longer here, but yet they're finding their needs met at the ball field, the soccer field, wherever they may be, they're finding community and they're finding their felt needs there, but they're not finding the spiritual depth of what they need, so they are finding their needs met elsewhere. Here's a fourth reason I think that people have walked away from the Christian faith. Maybe the church has hurt them somewhere. Maybe a a priest or a pastor uh, fell or they had an unmet expectation or somebody said something, they were going through something and nobody called them or something. You know how it is. Uh, sometimes we can be fragile and the church has let me down. They didn't meet up to my expectations. They hurt me. So why should I be a part of something like that? Here's a fifth reason that I think that many people have walked away from the Christian faith. And maybe, just maybe, those who claim to follow Jesus don't know what they truly believe. Maybe they don't know what they signed up for when it came to following Jesus. And thus, they don't know the cost of laying down their life to take up their cross and follow after Christ. And because of this lack of grounding in many people's lives, when the, when the storms of life come, they knock them down. Um, Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, I think, verse 24, He said, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house upon the rock, right? The rains came, the waters rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, but the house stood firm because it was built upon the rock. And then He uh, he turns around and He says, Anyone who hears these words and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. Rains came, the waters rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and the house fell, and how great was that crash. That's what Jesus said. Notice, rock people and sand people, what did they have in common? Storm. Storms of life come. And they don't make an appointment. Don't you just wish you knew it was coming? Don't you just wish... There was some kind of uh, radar out there that would tell you, hey, a storm's coming today. Or just like we hear the weather forecasters say, oh, there's a slight chance of rain today. Wouldn't you like to know, hey, there's a possibility of a storm hitting you today? But it doesn't work that way. Storms in life come. And if we're not grounded, what happens is, is those storms will overwhelm us. And so... We we want to look at how can we get grounded. Our elders and pastors see this on an ongoing basis. We see people who used to be sitting where you're sitting, worshiping, thriving in their faith, and the next minute you know something's happened and they they disappear. They walk away. Not not just walk away from the church but walk away from their faith, period. And and I got to thinking, what does the average churchgoer 
know about their faith. I mean, I'm not, I'm just talking about the average church goer. What do they know about their faith? Well, here's a couple of things. I know they, they know, and, and we know the Bible is a special book. Even if we don't read it, we still believe it, it's a special book. We call it the Holy Bible. We, uh, take care of it. Uh, and, and we believe the Bible is special. We also believe that Jesus is the Son of God who actually lived on earth. And most churchgoers can at least quote part of John 3.16. For God so loved the world. And we can just roll it off our tongues because that's what the average Christian knows. Here's a third thing. That they believe that somehow the cross, maybe they don't fully understand it, but they know somehow Jesus dying on the cross opened up a pathway for me to go to heaven someday, which is a place where God is, but my loved ones are, and uh, we, we, we know that. And all I have to do is pray a prayer, asking Jesus to come into my life, be baptized, read my Bible, keep attending church, and God will take me to heaven. And, and that's what the average churchgoer knows. Because we spend so much time emphasizing that, right? And we want you to come to a relationship with Christ. But these are, but the elementary things is what scripture says. In the book of Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1, the writer of Hebrews said this, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. So I think about this. I think about people walking away. I think about the average churchgoer knows the basics, but not beyond that. And what happens is, is that maybe, maybe the church has been guilty of not coaching you and preaching to you well enough that your faith and your foundation are key and and all you know is the elementary things when the storms of life hit you may come crashing down Paul said this in Ephesians 4 and you can look this one up if you want to Ephesians 4:11 you can find it on your devices or in your bibles right quick because I, I want to I wanna point out to you, Paul is saying the same thing as the writer of Hebrews did in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Here's what it says. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Now get this, and you can underline these key words. To equip, to equip the saints for the Work of ministry. You can underline that. See, becoming a follower of Jesus, there's still work to do. And you're going to be equipped for the work of ministry. And then it goes on in verse 12. For the building up, that's another key word, the building up of the body of Christ. And then verse 13, look at this. Until we all attain to the unity. There's a unity that comes as we're built up of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, and get this, to mature manhood. I mean, we're in the process 
we should be of growing up in our faith to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children, that's key, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. Look at that. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. The, notice the word doctrine there. That, that's not a word that we use too much. And, and when we, when it comes to church talking about doctrine, sometimes we think, oh, I'm going to tune that out because doctrine being, brings schisms and doctrine brings, uh, splits in churches and that kind of stuff. But that's not true. The word doctrine actually refers to a belief system that one builds their whole life upon. A doctrine. Now, whether it's biblical doctrine or not, there is something, a doctrine, that you build your whole life upon. You know, our culture and media, and here in the United States, there is a doctrine that is proclaimed. Let me go over it with you right quick. First of all, it's this, is get all you can. Grab for the gusto. Live, live to gather everything you can. Work hard to get it all. Get it all. And then secondly, it's this. Save it all or spend it all, but you are entitled because you earned it. You own it. So get all, everything you can. And then spend it on yourself or save it. You can do either one. But it's yours to do with what you want. So get all you can. Save all you can or spend all you can. And then what's the last one? Sit on the can. Because you're entitled to it. Just hoard it because it's all yours. And that's what our culture uh, is, is indoctrinating us. And that's the doctrine of our day. You're saying, Mark, I don't, I don't see that anywhere. You remember what I said. You go look at, just think about it, discern what you're reading, what you're taking in, and tell me if I'm not true. That it's all built on you. And what you can get out of it, and it's, and it's, it's to please yourself. That's the doctrine that we're taught from our culture. But there's a difference, and that is such a antithesis to the biblical teaching of what we have. And Paul instructed Timothy in 1 Timothy, this is what he said to him, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Guard your doctrine. Guard those things that you build your life upon. Now, today is... Just all introduction. Because for the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about this very foundational thing about high level, the non-negotiables of our faith. You see, you have certain non-negotiables. Now, uh, the reason I can tell you this, I am, I am good friends with all the pastors in this community. And when we sit in a room, there is an incredible unity that is there because we agree on the non-negotiables. Now, secondary issues, we may 
not see the the same. How you baptize, how you do the Lord's Supper, uh, you know, these kind of things, how you do missions, uh, different things like that. But we agree on the non-negotiables. And what we're going to do over several weeks is we're going to be looking at these high-level non-negotiables uh, that are there. And there are other things that we may adhere to, but these are the fundamentals of our faith. And what we're going to do is we're going to use a creed, and I'll explain what a creed is, a creed that was brought forth in the in the 4th and 5th century. There was a 4th century, there was a Roman creed, and it developed into a 5th century creed that was known as the Apostles' Creed. And this is the definition of a creed. You ready? A creed is a system of belief that guides one's actions. A creed is a system of belief that guides one at, one's action. In other words, you look through this lens and you live your life according to the, the parameters that you see in your, in, in this creed. Now, I'm going to explain the Apostles' Creed in just a second. But why do a series like this? Why, why jump into something like this? And I'm going to tell you a couple of reasons. Number one is this, to remind us what we truly believe so that it will lead to Christ-like action of living. To remind us what we truly believe so that it will lead to Christ-like action of living. Remember, I told you that belief, belief is something you build your life on, the the uh, things you build your life on. A creed is something that dictates your actions. And so we as Christ followers want to live a particular kind of life. Now, the second reason to do this series, aid in developing well-rounded, mature followers of Jesus. Followers that aren't out of balance. And what do I mean by that? Some of you uh, go to the gym. Some of you bought a gym membership in January and you quit and they're drawing your bank account every uh, month. And that's what they live on. And uh, they want to help you, but if you're not coming, they get paid. But that, you go to the gym and you, and you go and you're working out. You can't help but people watch, right? And so in the, in the people that you're watching, you have certain people, man, the guy is on the bench press. He's lifting a thousand pounds, it seems like. And he's doing curls and he's got huge, massive guns and, and yet, he stands up and he's got these little legs. And you're thinking, man, you're out of balance. You're, you're working on, on your upper body because that's what people see and your t-shirt bulges and that kind of stuff. People don't see your legs. So, so you just work on those things. And, or you have people that are working on their uh, abs and their core and get those ripples there. I, I, we all have those ripples. Some of them are just hidden, uh, but we all have them. 
And they're working on those, but maybe they're not working on other things. And, and so they're out of balance. And, and that's the way it is in the church much time. Man, there's people in the Bible. I'm, I'm in the Bible. I'm reading the Bible and their heads are, they're just getting bigger and bigger. And then there's people that don't spend much time in the Word, but they're doing, man. They're everywhere doing and they've got calluses on their, hands and feet and knees because they're doing all the time. See, that's out of balance. That's out of balance. God has a balance for us, and I want to aid in developing that balance among believers. Uh, a third reason to do this series is it's unifying. It unifies believers around the foundational truths of God's Word. And then fourthly, a last reason to do this series Help believers establish guardrails so they can walk out their faith in confidence. I don't want you doubting all the time. I want you to walk in confidence and, and we can give you some guardrails. So this is what we're going to do. I, I'm going to give you some thoughts on the Apostles' Creed, but I want you to stand with me right quick and we're going to, uh, we're going to go ahead, stand up. And we're going to read the Apostles' Creed together. Ready? Here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Now, some of you choked because it said the Holy Catholic Church. Let me, let me take your worry away from you. Uh, the word Catholic, and it, it meant the same when the Apostles' Creed came in the 5th century. The word Catholic means universal. It means the entirety of the church. It doesn't mean a sect of the Christian church, Roman Catholicism. That's what it means. It means the whole entirety, universal church. So when we get to that, I don't want you panicking. Some of you got sweats all of a sudden. You think, and man. Okay, how many of you grew up every Sunday giving the Apostles' Creed? Okay. Yeah, that's many of you. Many of you. When, uh, when I told Pam that we were going to be doing this series on the Apostles' Creed, man, she just jumped right into it. Her, her Methodist upbringing all of a sudden came out, and she started quoting the Apostles' Creed. Now, I know some of you grew up uh, as Baptists, which is our heritage here, and Baptists have always said, man, we're not, we're not a creedal people. We, we, uh, we're not a, a, a people who hold the creeds. We just hold to, to the Word of God. 
And and that's true, and I agree with that, and I'm going to deal with that in, in just a moment. But, so that you know where the Apostles' Creed came from, the Apostles' Creed was developed to combat false teaching that was coming into the church. Many, many false teachers were giving false teachings that were infiltrating the church, and uh, this was a way to teach the foundation of the church. In fact, many candidates for baptism, before they were baptized, would quote the Apostles' Creed because it would show that they understand the foundations of their their faith. And just so you know a little history, it was not written by the apostles, not written by the twelve apostles. However, it was influenced, obviously, the teachings influenced uh, what came forth in the Apostles' Creed. Because you see, what has happened, we know throughout history, when God revealed himself, in the Old Testament, he revealed himself to prophets. He, uh, in the New Testament, obviously he sent Jesus, who was God in the flesh, and, and he came to reveal the Father to us. And, and so the, you have Jesus. Jesus taught the apostles. They received the Holy Spirit. They took their, uh, their teaching, and they, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, they gave us the Scriptures. And then the Scriptures have been passed down to you and I, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we interpret the scriptures. But the the miss uh, or the disconnect seems to be okay. The prophets, we got Jesus, God in the flesh, pass it on the apostles. The scriptures are infallible, but all of a sudden it gets to us, right? And the church has been a little bit of a struggle in uh, in making sure we are doing the foundational things. And like I said, Baptists, by and far, have not been a creedal people uh, because there was a fear of following uh, something fallible instead of just the Word of God. And I agree, but hear, hear, hear my statement as we uh, progress in this series. It is not the creed that will interpret the Scriptures but it's the Scriptures that will interpret the Creed. So the Apostles' Creed is a tool to aid a person in acknowledging what the Scriptures say concerning what we believe. Okay? So I'm not lifting the Apostles' Creed saying, okay, you got the Holy Bible, you got Apostles' Creed. Uh, what I'm saying is the Apostles' Creed is a tool, an aid, to help us understand God's Word and the foundational statements. So I think it's, it's very good for us to dig into this. And notice when you read the creed, it starts out, I believe, and it's going to say, I believe in God the Father, I believe in uh, Jesus, the only begotten Son, and I believe in the Holy Spirit. Uh, you're going to see all these things. Your belief system is key. And... Uh, this word is repeated time and time again. And so I want to just lay out for you three things right quick. And these are going to be your take-homes for today. And uh, uh, I'm going to be fairly quick on these. And, and thanks for bearing with me. we got to dig a lot of ground for where we're going. So uh, I, I want to give you three thoughts along this term of I believe. 
First one is this. Every individual lives by a belief system. Every individual lives by a belief system. Whether it's from the Scriptures or from something else. Maybe it's from culture. Maybe it's from the media. Maybe it's from secular humanism. Uh, maybe it's from religion. I, I don't know. But uh, you're, you have a belief system. Seven billion people on this planet, everybody has a belief system. And this belief system is, is, uh, uh, it judges how they see everything. Now most of you in this room are Christians. You have a, a biblical worldview and you believe in the Bible. You believe in there's one God. You believe in Jesus Christ. Thus you see life through that lens of what you believe. But suppose somebody is secular in their nature. They don't have a redeemed spirit. They see everything through our world's philosophy, our world's culture, a secular worldview. They're going to see things differently. It's amazing sometimes that people expect the government to act Christian. And we get mad at them because they don't act Christian. That just doesn't make sense because we don't see things apples to apples. Yes, there are some Christians in government, and I appreciate them. I pray for them. I pray for those that aren't Christians because I'm commanded to do so. But, but yet we are not dependent on the government to do things for us as believers. We, and we got to live it out because it's our belief system. And so, uh, what you believe is the, I look at it this way. Today we're going to watch the Super Bowl. There, the Bengals out there. There's the Rams out there. But there are also some guys in striped shirts out there. And what these striped guys, their referees, uh, the officials, and what they do is they want to make sure the belief system of the NFL is in place on that field. And if somebody breaks the belief system, they throw a flag, you're penalized. They're, they're there to referee the belief system. What God does in your life is, in your belief system, there, it's almost like there's a referee to keep you within that belief system. So, number one is every individual lives by a belief system. Number two is this. What you believe translate into your action of life. What you believe translates into your action of life. Someone can look at how you live your life and see what you truly believe despite what you say. Did you hear what I said? Others are going to look at your life and can actually tell what you believe despite what you say. Because there are many that can quote scripture. There are many that know there are 66 books in the Bible and they blah, 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 can throw it up. But their life doesn't reflect it. To It doesn't matter what you say. I know what you believe by the way you live. And it, this is just being honest. I, I was concerned. You know, the last couple of years have been very daunting for all of us. And uh, uh, 
we went through, obviously went through COVID, which we continue to go through. We uh, went through racial struggles that, that were uh, very bad in our country. We went through a, an election, and there just seemed to be things over and over again that were happening. And uh, I understand that we all react differently. But uh, I was surprised at how um, how much fear I saw in some people. Now, concern, being wise, I mean, good night. Yeah, I, I'm all over that. But I mean, people, uh, some people walk in, in, this is the end. I mean, this, that was what they're th- uh, feeling it. And I, I'm thinking, okay, all right. Are, are you leaning on your own understanding or are you leaning and tr- trusting God? And, uh, and, uh, I, I, I just was concerned. And, uh, and I look at my own life and I think, man, you say you're a man of faith. You, you put your trust in God. But how many times do I lay away anxious and, uh, you see, you see where I'm saying? I can say one thing, but my life's going to dictate another thing. And I think we all can understand and deal with that. So here's the third one, last one. Your belief system will determine your quality of life when the storms come. Your belief system will determine your quality of life when the storms come. I said when the storms come. I, I so wish that storms, as I said earlier, I wish storms came with a warning. I wish, you know, like those tornado warnings just come out and everything's there, but they don't. They just sneak up on you and they hit you in the face. And, and no matter how prepared you are, you know, if it's going to be cold one day, you prepare by wearing layers because, you know, in Texas, it's going to be 32 and then 70. So, you wear layers and, and you do what you can. But storms just hit you in the face. And you, you don't, you're not prepared. But I tell you what, what makes you prepared is where you believe. Where you believe. Where you put your trust. Where you put your faith. That's how you're going to make it through. And, and notice, I didn't say, oh man, I want to say this so bad. I want to say your storms are going to go away. But you know what I've lost, uh, learned in 60 plus years of life? They don't go away sometimes. That, that's a bummer. You're going to walk away feeling lousy. I just know this. I know what life has taught me. And usually it's, you're coming out of a storm and you may have a reprieve before you go into another storm. And, and that's the way it is. But I love that God said, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. And so, what you believe, hear me, what you believe is your anchor through the storms. What you believe is your anchor through the storms. I was reading in Mark chapter 7 the other day, and, and Jesus is confronting the Pharisees and religious leaders. He calls them hypocrites. And he said this, 
It said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching us doctrines, the commandments of men. And I thought, oh, you see, Jesus is so relevant. He speaks right into our culture. Many people are speaking something with their lips, but their hearts are not there. My desire, my desire is for our hearts to come together to pursue Christ. I wanted you to bow your head with me just a moment.